News, WTBN, Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I believe that these verses, when correctly understood, properly interpreted, are the most controversial verses found in this entire letter. And the reason they provoke such controversy is because they teach a truth that is completely out of sync and contrary to the spirit of our world, to the spirit of our age. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The verses Pastor Steve just referenced are 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Today, Pastor Steve is moving on to his third sermon on the important but often misunderstood concept of spiritual separation. Contrary to one common understanding, this passage does not tell us to stay away from unbelievers, but it does tell us not to have spiritual alliances with them. After all, can two people headed to opposite ends of the country travel in the same car? Here's Pastor Steve to bring these verses into clearer focus. Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We continue in this wonderful letter and this very fascinating portion of Scripture. We find ourselves in these days, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. Paul writes, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty." I believe that these verses, when correctly understood, properly interpreted, are the most controversial verses found in this entire letter. And the reason they provoke such controversy is because they teach a truth that is completely out of sync and contrary to the spirit of our world, to the spirit of our age. They teach believers in Christ to be absolutely intolerant of all religious systems other than biblical Christianity. In fact, let's go beyond that. These verses actually teach us to not only be intolerant of other religious systems, but they actually forbid us from joining together with non-Christians in any type of mutual spiritual partnership. This is what Paul is referring to when he says at the beginning of verse 14, this sort of is, is the key thought and everything else is given to support this this command, do not be bound together with unbelievers. He's not referring to uh, social interaction. He's not referring to business interaction. He's not referring to economic interaction with unbelievers. But he is referring to the fact of do not have a common spiritual enterprise and endeavor with unbelievers. He's really speaking of the Corinthians who were joining their unsaved neighbors and loved ones and friends in worshiping idols in heathen temples. That's what was going on. That's what he's addressing. Paul already had rebuked them in his first letter. He said he did that in chapters 6 and 10. And now in his second letter, he addresses it 
Again, this is what he's talking about. And the reason that Paul addresses it here specifically is because not only were the Corinthians disobeying God by participating in the worship of idols, but their participation in heathen worship was actually wrecking their spiritual lives. And let me show you what I mean. If you look at the verses just before this, starting at verse 11, Paul says, Our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You're not restrained by us, but you're restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Then jump over to chapter 7, verse 2. He says, Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. In these two passages, Paul is appealing to the Corinthians to love him as Christ's true representative, as the one who would bring the word of Christ to them. And they didn't have room in their hearts for him. They did not love him, nor did they love the truth like they should have. And Paul makes this very passionate appeal to them to to love him and to embrace the truth. Now, uh, those are sandwiched around the, the passage that we're looking at because what Paul does is in between his appeals to the Corinthians to love him and, and the truths of the gospel, what Paul does is he explains to the Corinthians why they had declined in their love, what the real problem was. And the real problem was this. They had allowed false teachers and false religious systems to steal their hearts and their affections away from Paul. This didn't simply happen. They didn't stop loving Paul or have their love diminish for Paul just because it happened. There was a reason, and this is the reason. In other words, Paul is saying, as long as you continue to join unbelievers in heathen worship, you're not going to love me like you should. You're not going to love God like you should. You're going to close your hearts to God and to his word. See, here's the point. You cannot embrace demonic error and God's word at the same time. can't be done. You can't do that. You cannot follow Satan's lies and God's truth at the same time. You cannot fellowship with dead idols and the living God at the same time. You, you can't do that. Something's going to go. Something's going to happen. And what happens is a Christian's love is diminished for Christ. And that's precisely what the Corinthians were trying to do, and it was having that adverse effect on their spiritual lives. Now, what I have discovered in teaching through this passage is that it's one thing to deal with the ancient Corinthians and their sin, of participating with unbelievers in joint religious endeavors. Nobody seems to have a problem with that. We recognize it as wrong. We condemn it like Paul did. But this biblical truth of not participating with unbelievers in a common spiritual experience becomes hard for some of us when we begin to apply these truths to today. For example, it upsets some to be uh, taught and told that born-again Christians should come out of the Roman Catholic Church Why? Because Catholicism is really a heathen religious system. It is interspersed with some biblical terminology, but it is a pagan system. Now, that becomes uh, difficult for some to accept. Remember when I told you if if you had any criticisms, write to Jack Jenkins about this, and he'd convey it to me. Well, I I received um, an email recently from someone who did take exception to this about Catholicism, and said that I know what I was talking about, and proceeded to have a, um, four, I think it was 14, maybe 18-page documents from a Catholic apologist explaining what Catholicism was, and it is exactly what I said it was. They may say, yes, salvation is by grace through faith, but then they go on to say how you have to work for your salvation. Biblical terminology, but pagan thinking. 
So it becomes difficult for some of us to accept this. Easy for us to say, yes, the Corinthians were wrong, but when we begin to apply it, it gets too close to home. Also, some seem to be disturbed by applying this principle to uh, any evangelistic crusade that partners with liberal churches and Bible-rejecting theologians. See, what happens when you start to apply this principle of Scripture to today's situations, people get disturbed. And why do they get disturbed? What what is it that really bothers us about this? Because Paul's words hit at the very exclusiveness of the gospel. That's the reason, the very exclusiveness of the gospel. See, when you and I placed our faith in Christ, we were, in effect, denouncing every other belief that claimed to be God's word and God's truth. We were denouncing that. We were not adding Jesus to our belief system. We were turning away, which is what repentance means. We were turning from our sin. We were turning from error. We were turning from everything we were aware of that was wrong to Christ. It's, it's what Paul told the Thessalonians. You turn to, to the living God from dead idols. That was their conversion. And that's what the gospel is. In embracing Christ, we embraced him as the only way. We embraced him as the only truth. We embraced him as the only life. As I said, we didn't add Jesus to our religious affiliation. That's, that's what Hinduism does. Hinduism simply takes, I think it's something like 300 million gods, and you just throw them all together. We, we didn't do anything like that. We turned our backs to all other voices claiming to be the revelation of God. We don't believe that God has revealed himself through a variety of, of religions or religious experiences. We believe that God has specifically revealed himself through the Bible and in the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we have to conclude, and this is why this goes against the spirit of our age, we have to conclude that every other organized religion is really a satanic counterfeit. That's what scripture says. In fact, Paul referred to this as doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits. Anything that, that, is, uh, that is not biblical Christianity, we would have to say with Paul, would be doctrines of demons, deceitful spirits. He said that in 1 Timothy 4.1. Therefore, to have spiritual fellowship with unbelievers is, in effect, denouncing the exclusiveness of the gospel. And we must denounce that to embrace anything else would be wrong. The gospel is exclusive. There is, there is one way. It is through Christ and Christ alone. So by the very nature of the message of Christ, we must be intolerant of false religion. That isn't the spirit of our age. And I want to tell you, it is not the spirit and attitude prevalent in many churches. Now, this may be shocking to you, but recently uh, an article, uh, I came across information about an article in Christianity Today, a recent article in Christianity Today, in which a Wheaton College professor, James Lewis, recommended that Christians, and I quote, seek Muslim prayer partners and together beseech the true one and only God to have mercy on us from a Wheaton College professor. I want you to understand, Allah is not the God of the Bible. Allah is not the God of the Bible. He's not the one true God. That is, there is a demon behind Islam. There is a demon behind every false religion. We can't participate in a joint prayer time with a Muslim. We uh, want to witness to a Muslim. We want to lead them to faith in Christ. We want to tell them that their religion is wrong. 
There, there's no sacrifice for, for sin. There's no atonement there, there. There's no forgiveness. It's only through Christ. But it is precisely this type of ecumenical spirit. And ecumenicism is a, means a cooperative effort or, or unity with other religious groups. It is that spirit that Paul's denouncing in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But it's this type of, of thinking that has crept into our churches and it's damaging the spiritual vitality of believers today. And the result is this, that many Christians today, just like the Corinthians, have really lost their appetite for Scripture. Why does that happen? They lost their appetite for Scripture. They're not growing like they should. And that's what happens by refusing to separate ourselves from involvement in churches or religious groups that reject the message of salvation or by actively partnering with unbelievers in some uh, form of, of spiritual endeavor, Christians end up harming themselves spiritually. What specifically happens? Number one, you lose your, your love for God's truth. It, it just doesn't grip your heart anymore. It's just not sweet to you. It's, it's not something that you really long for. It's not something you love like you once did. Then what happens, that moves into becoming dull to spiritual discernment of error. You can't pick up error that much because you're not saturated with the word of God. Therefore, when you hear error, you tend to embrace it. You're, you're not sharp in your theology. Your discernment is off. And finally, you end up compromising God's word. You lose your love for scripture, your appetite for it dulled in your discernment so that any new teaching that comes down the pike you tend to embrace even if it's not biblical and then you end up compromising the word of God. So Paul's very clear admonition to the Corinthians and to us is to separate ourselves from any form of religious union with non-Christians. And I hope you understand that that's all we're talking about here, religious union. We're not talking about uh, forsaking relationships with unbelievers. The Bible encourages us to have social interaction with non-Christians. The Bible would also encourage us to do business with non-Christians so we can mingle and and, and, and share our faith and let them see our light. But as far as uh, a religious union with them, we have to separate and say no. So Paul, what he does, and, and watch this because this is important. Paul doesn't simply make a command and leave it at that. And that would be sufficient, but he doesn't do that. He takes great pains to logically spell out why believers should separate themselves from any spiritual fellowship with unbelievers. And it's important that we understand why. Let me explain. The reason he goes to such lengths to explain why they should separate from unbelievers is because those Corinthians who did separate from participating in heathen worship would pay a steep price. You and I, 2,000 years removed from this, look at this and, so, and say, oh, sure, do this. But that wasn't that easy to the Corinthians. They were raised in this kind of stuff. They, were, they would probably say, just like uh, Christians who are raised in a Christian home today, would say, I can't remember a time where I didn't worship at the temple in a, in a heathen atmosphere. I can't remember a time. I was raised in this. For them to separate themselves from doing that would mean to be severely criticized, ostracized, denounced by those who they separated from. They would pay a price. And what Paul wants to do is to make sure that before they ever do this, because this was such a major step in their lives, that they understand exactly why they're doing this. He's, he's giving them substance. He's giving them internal truths to strengthen them. He's building a case. He's reinforcing it. He doesn't just say it and leave it. He is actually trying to persuade them of the reasonableness of this because they would pay a price. And I want you to know, if you do this, you'll pay a price too. 
If you and I are going to obey this command to separate ourselves from spiritual fellowship with the unsaved, for some of us, we can expect to pay a price. And it'll go like this. You'll be misunderstood as well from your family members who have raised you in that religious affiliation. They won't understand why you can't go to that church anymore. They'll call you an intolerant fanatic. They'll denounce you. You might lose some friends. It might hurt you socially as well as uh, economically. You might hurt dear family members who will, will, will turn to you with tears in their eyes and say, how can you turn your back on the religion you were raised in? How can you do this to your, to your mother and your father? We did the best we could to raise you. And that's not an easy thing to hear. But this is why Jesus said that if you become my disciple, you put me first before mom and dad. So because obedience to the principle of not being bound with unbelievers has the potential to greatly impact your life, you'll really want to pay careful attention as we go through this. You'll want to know uh, why you should do what Paul tells us to do. Now, even if we didn't have any other reasons, we ought to simply obey because Scripture says, says to obey. But you want to know what you're to do and exactly why you should do it. So let's begin, as we've been looking for the last, uh, the last few times we've met, the reasons why believers should separate themselves from unbelievers. The first reason, first reason why we should separate ourselves from unbelievers in a religious sense is this, and we've already begun to look at this, but we'll take it deeper today. Believers and unbelievers are, number one, spiritually incompatible. Believers and unbelievers are spiritually incompatible. We're opposites. Paul, in verses 14 through 16, let me read it to you again, asks several questions. He first says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, which is another name for Satan? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? In these verses, Paul asks five questions, and they each demand uh, the answer, nothing, nothing. It demands a negative response. Any thinking person would see this. But what he does is he compares believers in Christ with those who are unbelievers. He makes a comparison, and in his comparison, he reveals that when it comes to spiritual issues, we are complete opposites, complete opposites, and therefore we are spiritually incompatible. It isn't that we just don't agree with unbelievers. We are opposite in so many ways. The first way we're opposite is, is this. He tells us by the first question, we have opposite natures. What partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? He's talking about the fact that, that believers have been given a righteous, divine new nature. The moment of your salvation, you were, you were changed. You were changed on the inside. You may not have felt any different. You may not have even understood this, but God gave you a new nature. And that new nature produces now a desire for you to walk in the light of obedience to Scripture. That's, that's exactly why you have a desire to obey. Now, we struggle with our sin. As Janetta was singing before, it's exactly our experience. We do repent because we sin. But at the depths of our soul, there is a desire to do what's right. And by right, I mean walking in the light of the truth of Scripture. We desire that. It's Romans chapter 7. It's Paul saying, I sin, I don't want to. But uh, I, I understand that there is a, a law that is at work in me, in my members. I desire to do what's right. That's what's taken place in our lives. That's why we are told here what partnership have righteousness with lawlessness. We have a righteous desire because God has put his righteous character within us. So, but, and then he says, tells us about unbelievers. Unbelievers don't have that at all. They're characterized in this verse as lawless 
and they walk in darkness because unbelievers are dominated by their sinful nature. They may be wonderful people in terms of personality. They may, uh, you, you may like them personally. That's, that's not the issue here. They are dominated by sinful natures that compel them to disobey God and walk in darkness. So Paul's point is rather obvious. How can we possibly have spiritual fellowship with those who are lawless and walk in darkness? How could we get together on any spiritual or religious issue with those who are so opposed to righteousness? And the answer is we can't. You can't possibly do that. You can agree with them on on other issues. You might agree with them on politics, but you cannot agree with them on spiritual issues. Secondly, he says that believers and unbelievers, not only do we have, are we opposites in the sense that we have different natures, but we have different leaders. We have absolutely opposite leaders. He writes, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial is just an old name for Satan. And And the obvious answer is nothing. Nothing. What does Jesus have in common with the devil? Nothing. Jesus is the one true God and Satan is his enemy. Satan is a fallen angel, a created angel who fell because of his pride. He wanted to be like God. Satan now hates Jesus. He's opposed to everything that Jesus stands for. He's opposed to God's plan. Everything that's holy and pure, he is the arch enemy. So Jesus and Satan aren't in agreement in anything, in anything. So how can we as Christ's followers be in agreement with those who follow Satan. We can't. How can we form a spiritual alliance with those who follow our master's enemy? Just can't be done. Can't be done. Now, this morning, we want to pick up where we left off last time, and we want to see some more reasons why believers and unbelievers are spiritually incompatible. We have opposite natures. We have opposite leaders. Now, number three, we are completely opposite, Paul teaches, in our spiritual possessions. What we possess spiritually, unbelievers do not. Paul writes, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Now, at first glance, and this is the end of verse 15, at first glance, you might think, why why is this here? Because really, there are lots of things we have in common with unbelievers as as Christians, aren't there? We we can have lots of of things in common. For example, as, uh, as humans, we both share the same basic human needs. We need food, clothing, and shelter. We both share the same types of struggles in life. We struggle with health issues, family concerns, financial matters, things, things of that nature. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you escape these problems. We both can have similar interests, sports, business, politics, hobbies, similar tastes in clothing, cars, foods, things, things of that nature. So when Paul writes, what do we have in common? If that's what he means here, our answer would be plenty of things, Paul. But that's not what he means. That's really not what he's writing. The question that Paul asks is not about human issues and interests. The specific Greek word that's translated in common literally means a portion or a part of something. He doesn't mean in common in the sense of human interests. In other words, Paul is asking what spiritual possessions or spiritual entities do believers and unbelievers share in common? And the answer is absolutely nothing. What you and I as believers in Christ possess, unbelievers do not possess. I see that a lot when I talk of spiritual things with unbelievers. It's in their eyes. They have absolutely no clue. It's kind of like discussing quantum physics with your cat. It's, it's not their fault. We were the same before the Holy Spirit gave us spiritual life. 
But it's still a fact that until that transformation happens, we are on completely different frequencies. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at www.lakesidechapel.com or by calling the office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. I mentioned at the start of the broadcast that this is Pastor Steve's third sermon in this series on spiritual separation. You can get caught up by going to the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. Feel free to stream or download as many programs as you like. While you're there, if you've been blessed listening to Verse by Verse and would like to help support this ministry, we make that easy and secure on the giving page. Thank you for helping us keep these classes on the air. That's versebyverseradio.org. So what is it that believers possess that unbelievers do not? Well, frankly, a lot. I'm Jerry Peterson, inviting you to come back for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve gives some details about those things, plus a difference that is really radical. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We're here to give you strength between